1: Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrall. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T shirt podcast. Aaron, how are you, brother? Good, how are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. What, which part of the states are you in?
0: I'm up in Virginia on the Eastern shore. Okay.
1: Is that, uh, Nor- Norfolk is it in Virginia, right?
0: It's about a, uh, three hour drive South from DC.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was in Virginia many years ago. Now when I was, uh, when I was in the Marines, I was on an aircraft carrier for a year and, uh, we stopped in Virginia and then we got a car and drove up to Washington. That was a hell of a trip. <laughs> I bet, especially be on the ship. Yeah. And so, Aaron, I should point out I think you're the first, well, you are the first Navy SEAL we've had on the show. Uh, we've had a lot of SAS guys, some quite a few SBS guys, but um, from our American from the american side of the atlantic i think you're the first navy seal so congrats (laughs) thank you congratulations
0: thank you it's an honor being here
1: yeah and listen i'm aware you've been through the mill a bit and we'll we'll come on and talk about that yeah okay And, and you feel free on my show to say whatever whatever um whatever you need to and whatever you want to but I know that my audience will be absolutely fascinated to um to hear about your career and how it all how it all started so can we take it from there yeah you can take it from as far as like when i came in or well like how is it if you want to join the seals because with our special forces in the uk you usually have to be like in a unit for Let's let's just say three years, maybe five years, and then you leave the army and you go to the SAS, where you leave the the uh, marine or in the Marines we go to the SBS, Special Boat Service. Now it's all mixed services, so each each unit can go to the other one, so to speak, right? But yeah. I gather with the SEALs, it's like you can join you can join the Navy and go straight to SEAL training. Is is that correct?
0: Yeah, you can, uh, you can join right out of high school. You can be 18, 19 years old, even 17 if you're uh, here in the States, if your uh, parents sign a waiver. But, yeah, you go to the whole boot camp and you get a SEAL contract. And then you, uh, once you get through done with boot camp, basically just wait until you class up. You go to, like, a SEAL prep course. And then once your uh, class number or whatever class is that to put you in, then you go down to uh, California and start SEAL training. Is
1: that, um, is that, like, cool? I mean, if you haven't had any sort of combat experience or military experience, does, does that work? I mean, obviously it works okay.
0: I mean, yes <clears throat> yes and no. I mean, there's ups and downs to it. I guess the product that we're seeing now and is the lag of conflicts and wars going on that, this generation that we have going on is I guess pampered and tailored and they want everything, give it to them. So the product that's coming in now is not as good as it was back then when the product was, when there's a war going on, there's the experience was around and you can get raised, I guess you can say in the teams, you know, and basically get trained and, you know, the spear sharpened all the way up to, you know, the point of combat, but it's cool too. The fact you come right in and get to go to civil training right out of high school, I mean, I think that's pretty awesome. But then again, it's a downside if you get thrown right into the middle of a, uh, you know, combat deployment and there's no experience around. Because nowadays, I don't know how it is on that side, but over here, I mean, basically all experience is kind of few far in between these days.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's funny. When you join the military, some guys can have a whole career and... and you know, I say a whole career, maybe they can do say seven or eight years and they don't even see a conflict. Other guys can do eight years and they're they're on, you know, they're on deployment like three or four times in a major, you know, major war zone.
0: Yeah, I think it's just right time, right place, right leadership. So
1: what made you want to become a SEAL other than the obvious, you know, the fact that it's a great, great career.
0: You know, when I first came into the Navy, I didn't go around to SEAL training. I actually went to a ship. But uh, I guess one day, I mean, if I can remember, a long time ago, I think I saw ran into a uh, SEAL that was active, and I was, you know, 19 years old, and I saw him do some training, and I was like, well, that seems pretty cool. And he was like, hey, man, you should try it out. And I was like, uh, you know, I might try it out. Next thing, you know what I passed the test, got a buds contract, and the rest is history. Wow! But and I was cool. never I was really into like the books, and I mean, of course, we've all seen the movies and stuff. But that's not like my main goal of the reason why I wanted to join the navy or be a silts basically I was young and got myself in some trouble, and I didn't really have many other options but to join the military.
1: So yeah, yeah. I think that's like like a lot of people, right? <laughs> yeah and um so i mean buds is i've watched like the the that series that was on the television is yeah the class before that's the one yeah yeah it's really kind of funny even as an ex-military guy i watched that and i could really like to have a go Yeah, i'd really like to, to i can i get it right it's a it's it's such a uh I know you know it's a it's a cool career it's um it's it must be so special to to get your trident
0: yeah I mean I got I got my trident I think I was 20 21 when I got my trident I think I was about 21 when I got my trident uh but yeah buds is I mean people always ask me like well how'd you make it through and you know what's the secret to it and did you get injured? Did you ever think about quitting? I mean, yeah, I thought about quitting one time. I remember uh one time I had shin splints so bad in first phase that I couldn't I couldn't even keep up with my boat crew underneath the boat. And I remember the instructors grabbing me and throwing me in the back of the truck and you know yelling at me and telling me to quit. They drove me to the uh to the grinder, to the bell next to the bell, told me to grab the bell. I mean, I grabbed the bell. But they were like, ring it. And I just let go of it. And I was like, no. And that was like the only time I did it. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was a fun time. I mean, it was, it sucked, but it was, it was fun. You know, looking back on it, it was a fun time in my life to go through that and experience that, especially at such a young age. I mean, now being my, my age, I mean, I don't, I like pizza and beer too much. So <laughs> I'll go through that again.
1: But you guys, you you all look so big, is it? Is it like steroids is big in the the seals, or is it just everyone's in in the gym? Or were they big guys when they when they joined?
0: I mean, some of them were big, big guys when they joined, and they just had that natural like big. I mean, there's there's sort a of frame. It's just the way they're genetically built? But guys, I mean, that mentality never stops to work out, and guys are just always in the gym. It's like second nature. Just as far as steroids, if guys do it, I mean. That's on them, it's on their personal time. But from what I see is guys just, you know, constantly just work out all the time. Mm. You know, protein bars, protein shakes, just like large pizzas and just run and lift weights. And
1: let's talk about the BUDS actual training then. How how how
0: long is BUDS? So when I went through back in 06, it was a uh, first phase, so you have indoc. doc which is before you phase up, which is, I think, about three weeks. And then you have first phase, which was nine weeks. Second phase was nine weeks. Third phase was nine weeks. And then you after you get done with BUDS, you go to what you call SQT, which is SEAL qualification training. So you usually graduate around October. And then from October to about May, you go through SQT, which is, you know, your free fall, your stack line, your uh, land warfare, how to actually become a SEAL, more diving, basically finding your skills you learning buds but uh now i think they cut it down to i want to say each phase is like six weeks now seven weeks because of the whole uh we got to have more people
1: yeah. and
0: uh pushing people through and uh the product was uh not as well as they you know it should be so and so one thing i
1: want to ask it is there two training camps for seals isn't there there's there's is it one east coast and one west coast
0: no that's a team so there's just only one play. everybody goes and trains in san diego four buds but then after that you get assigned teams. so you go to the west coast teams or the east coast teams
1: i get and it and then uh, just looking at my map here san diego yeah just just down from los angeles oh yeah and what is the water temperature like there, Aaron? San Diego,
0: cold, very cold.
1: It really is, yeah? I don't think it ever warms up. I was going to say, because in the UK, it's even in the summer, it's, it's, it's still fairly cold, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So this, um, I don't really know if it's kind of a punishment, but I know it's just a big part of you guys' training, as they say, get wet and sandy, isn't it?
0: yeah
1: and that's kind. Uh, like if you fucked up a little bit it's like right howard wet and sandy and you got to run down to the beach oh we've lost you a second hang on there you are you got to run down to the beach you got to throw yourself in in the water uh and then you got to roll in the sand right yeah it's called a sugar cookie and is can you describe that i mean do you start getting like hypothermia when when you're doing that, or is it is it easy, or
0: I mean it's just basically another form of just I guess torment and just you know a way to just make you more miserable mentally and physically, you're exhausted, and you just get done getting dry or you change your clothes and okay will get wet and sandy. It's kind of one of those just like gosh, you know, okay, but as far as guys would hype out and stuff and they have to check the temperature, but as far as like the sand, I mean it gets everywhere so. The chafing is real bad. And, I mean, I had a scar, like, on top of my head from the boats and from all the sand ever because it would just completely eat your head raw and leave scabs all over your head. And it was just another way. It's just a mess with you. Mm. Boots are soggy. Just sand. and You just can't get rid of it. How many guys did you start with and, and how many guys did you finish with? I think my initial class, I started, like, when I first classed up, I think I started with 312 people and then I ended up graduating with 54. So. Wow. Did you say yeah. 300? Yeah, 312.
1: And they all rock up at this base in San Diego, Bud School.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we all start first phase together and have that initial breakout of first phase. And then um, guys just start dropping out left and right. And then once you get through Hell Week and the first phase you go into second phase and that's when you get all your rollbacks from guys who like failed the obstacle course or failed a run. And so I graduated hell week with I think 32 people out of all those people. And then we got, we got 22 more people in second phase. And that's the rest of the class I graduated with was 54 people. God so it's 10, 10% are getting through. Something like that, yeah. And
1: that doesn't include the people that didn't even make it, like, past the recruiting. The
0: recruiting. Yeah, and that's, well, I mean, even in SQT, you get rolled back if guys can't seem to get stable when they're free falling, or they, you know, safety violations and stuff. They get rolled back to the next class. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, graduated buds, fifty-four people.
1: So this exercise you see in the swimming pool, where your, your hands are tied. Uh, the trial- yeah, you've got them behind your back. You've got to go up, get a breath. And then, or or you maybe you breathe out. I don't know. And you've got to go down. Then you kick off the bottom, go up, breathe. And then you go. That looks that looks as though if you didn't stay really calm, you're going to freak out and stop breathing in uh, water.
0: Yeah, because uh, most people are very comfortable. Like, you know, they're comfortable swimmers or something. They've never been. Restricted in the pool. So it's not the drown proofing, honestly, is probably one of the easiest things because literally all you have to do is just relax and just bounce off the bottom of the pool up and down, up and down. And then maybe kind of porpoise hands and feet tied on your back. But once people get their hands and feet tied together, it's just their mentality. They just start freaking out underwater and thinking that they're actually, you know, proofing themselves to drown, which I mean, you really can't. It's just the whole mentality thing is trying to get you comfortable in the water. So because we you, you what's
1: that? Were you a good swimmer when 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 you applied?
0: Yeah, because uh when I was in the regular navy, I was the search and rescue swimmer. And so that got me ready for buds. And then my dad always had me when I was growing up in the pool, water no matter what.
1: When you say search and rescue swimmer, is that like the, the guy in the helicopter or is this some
0: Yeah, the guy in the helicopter. Wow.
1: Like, they made a film about that, didn't they? I think they did. The the perfect storm was also the rescue. What do they call them? Para-jumpers or something? Para-rescue or... or, PJs?
0: Yeah, para-jumpers. Yeah, search and rescue swimmers as well. Yeah. Or the helicopter. Yeah. How was that? Did you have to rescue many people? No, I helped out with the... uh, Back when Hurricane Katrina hit. Uh, Louisiana stuff I helped out with that here in the states as far as like flying around and you know picking up people on the litters and baskets from the house but as far as like jumping in the water and saving anybody no I never got that chance
1: that's a tough job isn't it
0: yeah it is I saw I what... go ahead
1: no 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 you go ahead it's... you're my guest
0: <laughs> I was gonna say I swam more in star school than I did in buds mm
1: yeah search and rescue school, yeah yeah I saw one um documentary on the t v where the the chopper had gone out, and all the guys were in the water, I think, as their ship had sunk, and the para rescue guy stayed out to sea, you know they're like twenty miles out or something, and he let one of the 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 boat the the guys that was drowning you know was would have drowned. He let him get on the chopper to take the last place. He said, right, I'll stay out here with the rest of the guys. And, you know, we'll see you, I don't know, maybe three hours time or whatever. And it, that is just, I mean, that is heroic. People use the word hero all the time in the military. And I try and say, no, it's not all heroes, you know, a lot of just normal guys, a lot of assholes, but, yeah. you know, but, but what that guy did was just so
0: brave. I mean the I mean, chapter might have come back and not been able to find them, right? I mean, hats off to those guys, because if you watch like uh, uh, what is it called? You know, the the uh, deep sea crab people, like the biggest catch stuff on like Discovery. You see those star swimmers out there rescuing those guys, I mean the hats off to them. Mm. Like that's that's pretty heroic stuff. I mean, that's crazy. Get in that water and oh.
1: ice cold. And those yeah. waves can, the waves can be huge.
0: Yeah, I'm worried about the boat.
1: Did you find the diving
0: was okay then? Yeah, diving was fun. I mean, because we use the rebreathers and stuff, I mean, it gets kind of tedious after a while. It's not really fun recreational diving, but I mean, it was all right. I didn't, wasn't one of my favorite things to do, but you know, it's kind of one of those things you just kind of push through. I think my favorite part was, I mean, third phase when you get to all the explosives and you know, the shooting of the guns and stuff. Instead of doing night dives and just basically compass and in the dark just kicking in the nowhere until you smash into something like, oh, it's a pylon or a pier or a ship and you're trying to navigate around it. So you got your buddy next to you who are both navigating and he's yelling at you because you went the wrong direction, but all you hear is the roar, muffling sound and they're arguing with each other in the water and it's just Pretty frustrating, but you know it's one of those things you gotta do. Yes.
1: Yeah, so pe- for people at home listening, the rebreather is a military system that what you breathe out gets sucked into this equipment, so you don't you don't put any bubbles up, obviously, because the your enemy can see the bubbles. Is is that right, Aaron? Yeah, that's correct. And I didn't realize that that kind of diving, uh, you you're not like going really deep is this correct you're just kind of getting under the surface so you can you can swim onto the beach or swim onto a to an enemy position or, or a boat or something yeah
0: you're about between 15 and 30 feet oh ah, so fairly deep how yeah not not too deep but the longest you can stay in the waters by about four hours unless you do like a uh, emergency descent or something say a ship's coming in and you know it's the rules of diving and all that stuff to, you know further down the Less your bottom time or air time you have. So if you do like emergency descent, then you know you cut your bottom time in half or do all the calculations, which I, you know, totally forgot since. Ah, it's fuzzy.
1: I've done a lot of diving, and now I just use the computer. <laughs> it's a lot easier.
0: I mean, you can probably bring your iPhone down there these days, and they tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> and um, how then,
1: if if you have a dry suit? I mean, you know, my dry suit, I got to put air in it to like inflate it to go up. I got to, you know, dump dump air to go down. Obviously, that's creating bubbles. How, how
0: do they get around that
1: in, in the seals?
0: Just try to get as much bubbles out as you can, as far as like uh, sucking it down. We got, you know, those vacuum sealers you can do, like, where you seal like travel clothes. You can, you know, suck all that out as much as you can. Or uh, you just wear a really thick, thick wetsuit. Okay. But like, we- Bubbles you kind of like go above your buddy's head and kind of splash it around and kind of you know spread it apart. Yeah. Um okay.
1: So we've talked about the 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 pool work, we've talked about the diving. What's the furthest you have to have to swim on the surface? And is it do you always use the fins?
0: Yeah, you always use the fins. So in buds, every week we had a two mile timed ocean swim. And then uh during second phase, so it was like every phase, every week you have a timed ocean swim two miles. And then in the second phase, we had a five mile ocean swim. Uh where they for some reason like halfway through they try to give you energy and they give you a bunch of ensure or those boost drinks, which is basically milk and See guys throwing it up. And of course, I drank it. I was like, oh, it's going to give me energy. And, you know, you're throwing up everywhere. But yeah, that's the only time is like when you swim a lot is during buds. It's about two miles to five miles the longest. But when you're getting dropped off, like say an OTB, which is over the beach, it just depends on, you know, it could be a thousand yards, could be 500 yards.
1: Okay. Did you find, you, I mean, I'm guessing you get cold at the end of a long swim especially in san diego
0: yeah you just i mean just push through it
1: yeah
0: uh, you. some guys don't wear a uh, wetsuit hoodie so they get vertigo and they start spinning but one of those things you just kind of just block out And just the faster i swim the faster i can get out
1: yeah i bet oh my god uh, and we hear a lot about this hell week can you can you tell us a bit about that
0: yeah, so I mean, if you actually go onto my uh, Facebook page, I actually put a couple of pictures of me up there during Hell Week. Um, yeah, it's just as basically, don't quit, just grind it out. I mean, it's it's. I'd say I've got maybe a total of one hour of sleep during the whole week because I know if I can remember right, I think it was Wednesday or Tuesday night was the first time I got to actually sleep, and it was maybe. I say a thirty minute, I say a thirty minute to an hour nap they give you, but I almost would have rather stayed awake because you know how you get into you fall asleep pretty quick. And when you wake back up, you're right back in it, you're just like, Oh man, you're stiff, you don't know what's going on. But uh I mean, being a hell they have these tents set up right there all around the grinder and stuff, and you go in Sunday night, they recall you in and you go into like one of these dormitory rooms that we have classrooms and I mean they're feeding you pizza and you're watching 300 and movies and having a good time and nothing's going to happen and then they're like okay you know everybody went to the tents that's the tents and you know everybody's anticipating i hear something i hear something it's like that all night until finally everybody passes out and next they know what you hear a clink clink dink and crash bangs go off and here comes a guy running in there with a machine gun just blasting it and you run out and all of a sudden you get hit with a fire extinguisher hose and smoke's going off. People are yelling at you. There's multiple cadres with machine guns and just blasting guns and crash bangs going off. And it's just pure it's just pure chaos at the beginning. You know, run over here, do push ups, just getting sprayed, yelling at you, smoke flares going everywhere, and they just get you wet and sandy. And all week you have the boats are never off your head the entire week. And I think a total I ran I think they calculated a the total that we ran in Hell Week was, I think, up to 150 miles for that whole week with boats on our heads. And they had this one run where it's called uh, the Elephant Run. Where basically, you start at Bud's, and you run all the way down to the beach, which is, I think, like three, a little over three and a half miles, and all the way back with the boats on your head. And it's roughly about seven miles you're just running with boats on your heads for no reason, getting wet and sandy. And, uh they had this thing called Camp Surf. One of the nights where, you know, they got the cadre sitting around. They got a big bonfire, and, you know, they're coking and joking. And basically, we have our paddles, and we're just digging holes in the sand, just just digging, just digging to keep us awake. And every now and then, they'll be like, get wet and sand you. But, you know, you, there'd be the guys, one of the guys. We'd run down to pretend like you got in the surf because they can't monitor everybody. So we, like, splash your little stuff, so get wet, and run back up and start digging so you're dry. But then they can, uh, they'll be like, hey, they'll pick out random people to come up and tell a joke to the cadre. And if you make the cadre laugh, you get to stand by the fire for like, you know, five minutes. But if they don't think it's funny, they tell you get wet and sandy. And I remember I went up there and told a joke. And I think as soon as I opened my mouth, they're like, get wet and sandy. So I ran down to the beach, tried to splash myself, and sure enough, got caught. And I had to like, lay in the surf for like the next two hours, <laughs> just getting wet and sandy because I tried to skip out of it. Did but.
1: On the hell week, do they do that thing where you have to link arms and lay back in the surf?
0: Yeah, that's all the time. Just lay there, just wet, always wet. And
1: that must get so cold.
0: It does. I mean, you're just, you're miserable. It's just a miserable week. <laughs> How many hours
1: sleep do you get during that week?
0: Uh, I think a total I got was, like I said, probably maybe an hour,
1: hour oh. and a half.
0: Wow. But that doesn't count too for like, Falling asleep when you're standing up or trying to find a way to make a look and kind of doze off real quick. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm a master of, you know, sleeping while I'm standing up.
1: (laughs) And what was it like when, how did you, how do you know when it's all over? Is it like done on the, on, on the day, like a stopwatch or would you keep going? Um,
0: Basically, you know, when it's, almost when it's hell week is over it's when you do this thing called around the world is where your boat crew goes on the other side of the uh, island right there in uh, san diego and you paddle all the way around the island it takes all night all into the morning i mean just your whole boat crew's paddling dudes are falling asleep falling off the boat and it's supposed to be teamwork kind of building thing but that's when you know okay we're at the around the world we're getting close and then uh, once we get up to the beach, there's a big flag raise and ceremony and stuff. So like, hey, congratulations. You know, it's hell week. And then, uh, you know, it's a big ceremony and everything, congratulations. And then you go through walk week, which is the whole next week is where, you know, guys are getting recovered from medical stuff. They let you sleep a little bit longer. And we have night sweats. You got your medical checks. Make sure you're okay to still participate through BUDS.
1: My gosh. Must be – um. Yeah, it must be like a dream. Come,
0: well, it's a dream come true, right? Yeah, I actually have a, you know, I actually have my whole Hell Week filmed. We had a TV crew out there filming us for that, and I have it on a DVD, but it won't work in these new Blu-ray DVDs, players. So I gotta find and buy an old DVD player for it to work. But I have my entire Hell Week filmed for that. Wow. I'm trying to. I just had not got around to buying a DVD player yet. Oh, ask it's a shame I can't get a copy of that. I'll give you a copy. Yeah, whenever I, uh, I transferred over and everything, because someone was old. This is this back like two thousand six, so I gotta. Have you a best... got it, have you got it on your computer, like in files? It won't open up on my computer. It won't open up on this new MacBook. Uh, I gotta get to some geek squad. I guess you can say a computer person who knows how to. Uh...
1: Oh, they'll they'll fix it for you, I'm sure. I just be, would be good to give it to my producer and he can put it in some of it in the podcast, but I don't know how you can if you can't open it, you can't send it electronically, you know?
0: Well I'll figure it out I'll figure it away.
1: Yeah, see if you can, that would be great. So let's talk about the uh the SQT. So the continuation, the specialist training. What's the skydiving like? It looks it looks amazing.
0: I mean, that's, it was fun. I mean, that was the first time I've ever jumped out of an airplane. And, you know, I remember when that first, because they build you up to it and, you know, you jump out and you got the instructors holding on to you and, you know, they're showing you how to position your body and how to control yourself So you're not tumbling or spinning out of control. I remember the first guy to jump out by himself, like, okay, now we're jumping out by ourselves. Cause the whole time they're just holding on to you and you're not really doing anything they're just showing you what it's like but uh the first time the first guy in our class jumped out we're all watching him so excited and he has a malfunction has to pull his reserve so of course that gets everybody all you know scared oh this is how it's gonna be and so I remember when I when I went out to jump as soon as that door opened up I was just like man kind of like close your eyes and hope for the best and just jump out and it was fun But I mean it's it's a lot of a lot of work, a lot of training and you know, it's definitely one of those things where it's you got to be constantly engaged if not, you know, you can mess something up and you can possibly even, you know, die the reality of it. But did you
1: did you start by doing um the normal military parachute course just jumping out with a static line?
0: Yeah, we did that first. So I did, I think it was because they condensed our course. And uh, I got lucky. I didn't go actually to the Army one. I went to our own, you know, Spec Warfare one, which I think was only five days. But, yeah, I didn't like static at all. That's not that's not fun. And hats off to guys who do that all the time every day. Like, that's not – I don't enjoy it at all. Because mm. you can't throw the parachute. It's basically a big round canopy with wooden toggles you're trying to <laughs> – and if you have a malfunction, there's no way because you're jumping out thousand feet 800 feet i mean it's been pretty hard to get your reserve out i mean
1: yeah exactly well if you jump into combat they're they're chucking you out so low you don't have a reserve because there's no point it it wouldn't work right
0: no i mean it wouldn't work and then the landing too they tell you the plf was basically put your feet knees together and you just smash into the ground and Mm. like a sack of potatoes like
1: yeah i'm really lucky i i I did the military parachute course, and then I've done AFF skydiving as a civilian. Yep.
0: Um,
1: but I haven't done the sort of stuff you guys have done—jumping out the back of a, you know, jumping off the tailgate of a plane—and and do you in in the UK Special Forces they call it, hey ho, which yep. is high altitude, high opening, no. and hey low which is high altitude and then low opening is, is that the same as what you guys were trained in?
0: Yeah, it's the same. Is it? We do more, we do more. Hey hoes. I guess you can say hop and pops. Hope I lost you there again. Sorry. Okay. You see me? Yeah. Yeah. We do more. It's called, uh, I guess you can say it's called hop and pops. We're basically, we jump out, you know, one count, 1,000, look one reach 1,000, pull 1,000. So it's a quick, short pull because I mean, really like you do doing combat or anything else, there's really no need to do a low opening because you're you know, probably trying to natter. There's no need for a low opening. So it, once you do high altitude, high opening, you get in your stick formation, you all form up and you come in as one solid unit, a solid team and try to land in the same location as everybody else. Because mm-hmm. I know when we do training, you jump out. I mean, there's, we have night vision on, say, for nighttime. And you have guys who have their IR strobes on. You always got your head on a swivel, looking left and looking right. And you just chaotic. Chaos in the air. You see parachutes everywhere. So you're like, I don't want to hit this guy. This guy more exciting to me. So you got to pretty much on your A game. And yeah, it's pretty fun. Did you do any jumps into water? Yeah, I did a lot of jumps in water. I think that's a lot easier than doing it on land because you basically just splash. And then. Unclip yourself. Just wait for a boat to come by and put your parachute up. They pick it up for you and everything, and you're done. You have to, You don't have to pack it or anything.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah, that really that's uh, really living. That's really living the special forces life. Jumping into water.
0: I mean, if it's so, nice water, cold
1: water though. When you do that, so are you wearing like your wetsuit or a dry suit?
0: Yeah. You usually wear a wetsuit underneath your camis or you can do a dry suit but sometimes like i've done it myself where you put too much clothing or too many layers on underneath and then you're just sweating just sitting there sweating the whole time
1: yeah and you've got or, so, so much equipment as well
0: yeah or you forget they got a neck ring to where if you got a dry suit on you know where it's supposed to keep all the water from coming in it's like a plastic ring and you know i've done it too where if you get to take it out you jump in the water and all of a sudden next time your whole dry suit's flooded with water. You're like, well, I mean, that's kind of pointless. <laughs> oh, the ring lets the air go in to cool you down, right? It- yeah, it's to well, keep Well, it keeps the uh, restriction off your neck and throat because once you put that thing on, it's such a tight squeeze. It feels like you can barely breathe. So that ring kind of gives you some kind of room to breathe. Yeah. And if you don't take it out in water, I mean, water's just dumping inside your dry suit.
1: So, Aaron... You- did you go straight to SEAL Team 6? How, how does that work?
0: No, I went to uh, SEAL Team 1 first. And I did two deployments there. So basically to come to Group, you got to do two deployments first. I think it's three now. But then you got to do at least two rotations, two deployments, two full workups. And then you can put in a package, the screen. You know, you got to go to the old Psyche eval. They come and interview you. You got to pass the, you know, physical screening test. and if they if they like you, then they're like, okay, you know, cool. You can now come out to you know dev group and try out. Go out to dev group, do the whole thing again, do the PT. You got to pass the screener test, and then you got to go through the whole, you know, dev group pipeline, which is about six or seven months, just wow. to get into squadron.
1: What's the screener test? Just just very briefly.
0: It's like a three mile time run, five hundred yards swim, push ups, sit ups, pull ups.
1: Okay, yeah, so a bit like USMC sort of tests, the sort of thing we did in the Marines. Yeah. Um, and did you go on deployment with SEAL Team 1 before you went to to Group, Or
0: Yeah, I did uh, my deployments to Afghanistan and a couple to the Middle East before I went over there. So I did three, one, three total deployments at SEAL Team 1 before I came over to DevGrew,
1: and how many deployments did you do with DevGrew?
0: I've done three, or I've done sorry, yeah, three so far.
1: So three, three each side, yeah. and how much? Um, I mean, I'm guessing you've seen a lot of action in the Middle East.
0: Yeah, a lot of action in the Middle East, and a lot of action in Afghanistan too.
1: Can you give us some kind of idea for people that have no idea what? I mean, were you get Were you sent out to get targets? You know, to get um, what I don't know the the correct name, but we would call them players. Right? Yeah, you can say
0: the same players like you know, enemy fighters, combatants.
1: Combatants, yeah, yeah. So
0: same same concepts over there too. Is like, hey, we get, hey, y'all are going to Afghanistan, cool. So we get there, we do a whole you know brief where we're going the who, what, when, where, the five Ws why and basically you get there you know how same thing works is you had so many support support and intel gathering and stuff I'm like okay well you know just do on a date like 10 june whatever we're going to go and get this one guy then you let's that, say that's like a week away then you train up for that and then go get that guy or sometimes it's every night like hey we got to clear this whole entire valley you know to get these guys or stop these guys and you know and then The rest, it goes from there. Just fighting every, not every day. You're not always fighting every single day. Sometimes you are, depends on where you're at and what geographic location you're at in that country. But other than that, it's like, sometimes you pick and choose. Like, okay, this guy's of high interest. Let's go get this guy. Or, hey, this guy might know this guy. Let's go see what's going on over here.
1: And what's um, what's the kind of firefight like? What I mean, how do you react to that? How does it feel when rounds are coming in? What kind of uh, ammunition, what kind of munitions are you putting back at the enemy? And it, are you calling in air support
0: and this sort of stuff? Yeah, we're calling air support, dropping uh, anywhere from 500 to 1,000-pound bombs, JDAMs. Um, Basically running with like a 5.56 five, or 7.62 uh, caliber. Or we have, you know, what we call, you know, the 84 Carl Gustav rocket. Yeah. Launching those, launch 40 Mike Mike golden egg grenades. Uh, some guys carry the uh, Mark 46, 47, which is a machine gun, which is a 5.56 5. machine gun or a uh, 7.62 machine gun. And as far as, like, taking rounds or being involved in combat, I mean, everybody's saying, oh, it's tough, I won't do anything like that. But at the end of the day, you're getting shot at. It. It's not cool. I mean, you're scared, but you're not going to let that fear overwhelm, like you protecting your buddy's back and your buddy's protecting your back. Because, I mean, we all want to come home at the end of the day. I want to go back and play my video games when I come back, you know, from an op or something like that, kind of reset and relax. So the whole mentality of just, you know, going through BUDS and the way they build you up to take on that stuff is it's pretty surreal of how they actually do it and how your mind kicks into the overdrive and protection mode. So the SEAL Team 6, What?
1: why do they call it DEVGRU then? What, is that an acronym or something?
0: Yeah, it's a development group. It's basically they develop like R and R. So they develop new concepts, new tactics. The shiny new stuff is new tactics, shiny new everything's coming from DevGrew and passing on to everybody else. Okay. And are they kind of
1: um, specifically aligned for what we would call anti-terrorism? Yeah, hostage rescue, anti-terrorism. Yes. 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 Yep. Yeah. Did you have to do much of that?
0: Never took part uh partook in a hostage rescue, but uh as far as like anti terrorism and stuff like that, as far as dealing with those people, absolutely.
1: Did did you get many uh casualties in your team as far,
0: No, not as far as uh Americans, but a couple guys got injured, a couple guys got blown up as far as like taking any fatalities or anything? No. Luckily.
1: And so do you do you know, like, Marcus Luttrell? Is 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 it a small world there, or or is it there's so many SEALs that
0: – It's a small world, but I've never met him. I know, you know, of him, know his legacy, know his stories and everything, but as far as meeting him personally, I've never met him. Okay. So – Is
1: there any kind of, like uh, – I'm trying to think the word we would use in the Marines um, – Like, is there any kind of uh, folklore around his story? I mean, is is obviously most people have seen the the movie, which was was it Lone Survivor? Yeah. Um, I mean, is that said to be accurate, or
0: is you know, I would I, there's people always have their opinions about it, <clears throat> and I always people always ask me that too, and I always tell them like, hey, I wasn't there. So I don't know, and I can't comment on it, like, what my opinion is of it, because I wasn't there. Like,
1: Yeah, that's...
0: I think I would damn disjustice, you know, and I, I don't want to disrespect him or, you know, the other members that, you know, passed away, because, like I said, I wasn't there. So, I mean, how can I really comment on it or put my twist on it or what I think, because that's just me. I don't think I have the right to do that, because, like I said, I wasn't there, so... But yeah, everybody has their opinions and everybody's going to say something like, this probably happened, this probably happened. But, you know, if they really want to know the real story, why don't you just call him up and ask him yourself or watch the movie, or read his book, you know?
1: Yeah, got you. And um, Chris Kyle, of course, was another SEAL, wasn't he, that um, came to prominence? Yeah. He was there. what was that film called? The Sniper, wasn't it? The American Sniper? American Sniper, yeah. Yeah. Wow. and so how how did you leave what what was this when you got into this all this trouble came up are you okay talking about this or
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah like i'm i mean cause i'm still i'm still attached to DevGrew and i still have orders and everything there and i'm physically actually still attached to them but as far as like getting in trouble i think when they came and accuse me of these accusations, the first thing I did was get a lawyer. I said, I want a lawyer before I sign anything. And their knee-jerk reaction was automatically, I'm a traitor for getting a lawyer because for whatever reason, there's some kind of unwritten law that if we talk to lawyers and we're rats, or, you know, I've got to call anything from a snitch to a rat to a traitor, untrustworthy just because I got a lawyer because they were accusing me of something. And that's when it kind of went downhill from there. And, you know, they uh, released me from my squadron or released me from the command and put me over into a trash detail unit as an active duty Navy SEAL of dev group, picking up trash, cleaning toilets, cutting grass, painting buildings, sweeping parking lots, everything while this whole investigation and, stuff is going on and it all started because i said i wanted a lawyer
1: are we able to say what what you're accused of is that is that okay yeah absolutely so and you were accused of I don't Cat know, catfishing
0: but so then basically was, they, so you know, basically they basically they accused me of pretending to be a female that works at our command To text other girls at the command and some not from the command to say, Hey, I'm this girl, send me nude photos. And these girls allegedly sent nude photos. And so they're saying, Oh, it must have been me. So then that's when they started trying to investigate me. Long story short, at trial, they found me not guilty of everything they accused me of, but they found me guilty of Article 134, which is basically a catch-all article, which is basically prejudice to good order and discipline. So that's equivalent to me walking outside right now on a Navy base and throwing a piece of gum on the ground. I just, you know, bought, brought discredit to the United States Navy so they can then theor- theoretically charge me with Article 134. So they found me guilty of Article 134 but not guilty of everything else, confined me for 30 days. Reduced me in rank, but they kicked me out of the Navy and they have found me $1,500 fine. But at trial, they never, NCIS, I passed two polygraph tests uh, about this. They didn't care about that. At trial, the NCIS agent didn't produce any nude photos of these girls. These girls said they never sent any photos. They didn't find anything on my phone, they didn't find anything on a computer, they didn't find anything in my call records. They didn't even have probable cause. This is verbatim, quote, under oath to NCS agents' words, saying uh, that she didn't even have probable cause to get a search warrant to get any of my information or any of my electronics. Um, they never took these girls' phones. They never took these. All they basically went off was was their word, these girls' word and their emotion. And to the jury members, and it worked. There was zero evidence against me. And because I'm a part of DevGrew and with all the other sealed cases going on in the news media, that made me an easy target because the prosecutor that was prosecuting me was up for promotion and she wanted to be a judge. So with this guilty verdict, she then gets promoted and then becomes a sitting judge. They blocked, the judge blocked all of our exculpatory evidence to be shown to the jury members. So basically we're going in there with, we didn't do it because the judge blocked it. And they're so corrupt that, and we impeached all the girls too. We caught them in all their lies and they still found me guilty. And now I'm appealing the case. And is, is there anything you can,
1: you want to say that might to my audience that might be able to help you? Is, um,
0: yes. I mean, just, I have, I have a petition going around. Uh, talking about it as long as my, we- as well as my website, talking about it, uh, it's, you know, pardon, Aaron Howard.com. And in that petition, I'm just petitioning to, you know, try to have, try to get the president to see that this is wrongdoing because I mean, basically they found me guilty with zero evidence and the UCMJ and the, which is the uniform code of military justice here in America is just completely tarnished and corrupt and they get away with everything it's not due process
1: in the u.s navy do you have this
0: expression that we have kangaroo court
1: do do you know that expression? i
0: wouldn't even call it, i wouldn't even call it a kangaroo court i'd call it a sesame street court
1: <laughs> okay yeah i mean it's from from your position you know as an elite seal to be made to clean toilets um were you, 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 we, did you get blown up in the Middle East? Did I understand that?
0: Yeah, I got blown up in Afghanistan back in 2009. Uh, Can you just tell us
1: about that? Because, again, people would be fascinated to, to hear that. Yeah,
0: just uh, on one of our ops, you know, somebody, one of our men, stepped on an ID and you know, happened to be a couple guys behind him. And I took some of the blast and it shattered the left side of my face. And I had to get re, uh, three reconstructive surgeries on my face uh to fix it. So I just last year it was my last surgery that I got and they put a 3D implant in my face. Uh the first time they put screws, plates, the whole thing, uh new gum line. But the plate and the screws came out and it was protruding to my face. They went in, took the plates out, and just left it. So I had no orbital bone, no socket bone, no anything for a couple years until finally this past year after all this time i finally like 10 years i finally got my third surgery where they made a custom 3d implant and put it back in my face because i was getting infections and stuff inside there from not having a plate and sewn up so they finally put a 3d implant in my face right now and uh, i still don't have any feeling and stuff in my left side of my face but other than that i mean it's good to go
1: and what's it like then when an ied goes off is it's,
0: I don't, I mean, I didn't remember it. I just remember waking up and had IV sticking out of me and everything, but really don't remember much of it. I got all the x rays and stuff of it. And it's just one of those things like, hey, I'm glad I'm alive, glad everybody else is alive.
1: No one was killed, no? Nobody was killed. No. Did you wake up back in the States or were you still in the Middle East?
0: I was still over there in the Middle East. Hmm. So, yeah, they woke me up, put me in the hospital. Uh, worked on me there a little bit. And then that was towards the end of the deployment. Came back and then got a surgery and fixed it. And then went on from there. And do you can
1: you describe what happened in the build up before before um the ID was triggered? We were, were you in a in a in a village or something?
0: Yeah, we were patrolling through uh you know, to the mountains and stuff and we're just we came to this open pass and we we're supposed to go to this one village and, and during this patrol it's quiet. Nothing's was was going on in Next boom. Cause over there there's plant IEDs everywhere. And when the guy stepped on it, it's the last thing we remember.
1: God. Did it did anybody lose a leg or anything?
0: Yeah, we had one guy lose both his legs, uh below or below the knees. And uh but now he's fine walking around, and everything. And a couple guys got a bunch of fr- uh frag and shrapnel.
1: How many people were on that patrol?
0: I'd say probably maybe about 20, 25 people.
1: Okay. Did you have to? That? What did you do? Then call a chopper in immediately for a Kazovac.
0: Yeah, we call a chopper in immediately for Kazovac get him out of there and get me out of there and get a couple other guys out of there.
1: Yeah, because if it gets too, there's too many people injured and and the situation's not secure, then you got to get the QRF force in, right? That you got to get yeah. backup and
0: and Dylan was dealing with the timeline and the. Lack of speed over there. Sometimes it could take an hour. Sometimes it could take 30 minutes. Sometimes it could take even longer than that. So it's best to just get on the horn real quick and call it in.
1: And while we're on that subject, can you um, shed any light on the the chopper crash? That, that Was it blown out of the sky? Because uh, didn't SEAL Team 6 lose allegedly all the guys that were on the Bin Laden raid?
0: No, it wasn't all the guys that had been on the raid. It was, uh, it, it probably was a couple of guys on there. But you talking about extortion seventeen? Yeah, a uh, lot of lot of lot of troop, lot of the guys in the troop, you know, lost their life that night. It was it's pretty tough, man. Like, I don't know the full details of it, or actually, you know what? I just know that an RPG took it out of the sky. As far as like the build up to that and the reason why and everything, I don't I don't ask, and I know that they're. I don't want to do a dishonor and disrespect to the family of all the members, you know, that passed away. But yeah, it was a tragedy. It was a terrible event. But from what I know is that, yeah, an RPG took them out and uh, zero survivors on board. Yeah. Awful. God. Terrible.
1: So sorry, we, we, we kind of diversified a bit, Aaron, but, um, so coming back to your situation, people
0: can sign this petition. Yeah, you can, you can go onto my uh, Facebook. It's uh Aaron Pardonseal Howard. And I got my petition posted on there. Uh, you can also get on my Twitter page, which is uh at Aaron underscore Howard Two Six Five. And uh yeah, just I just asked respectfully and you know it'd be a blessing and honor if anybody would sign and share it and just keep passing the word because you know being accused falsely of a crime and then seeing yourself getting convicted with zero evidence is you know that's I want to clear my name and I want to show and reform the UCMJ and help out those who've also been wrongfully convicted and falsely accused by this corrupt, tarnished military justice system.
1: Yeah, gotcha. And um, your parents were obviously quite upset and they've got involved. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, they got involved. we you know, we got multiple complaints going on against the command, against the military justice system. And because they were there the whole time, they saw exactly what happened. And it's just, they're not happy, nor am I. And to have 16 years of zero discrepancies, zero mishaps, and I had no disciplinary problems to go from that to this. They made me sailor of the year for the entire command, dev group command, right before they accused me of this.
1: Wow, how how was it to get Sailor of the Year? That's quite a quite an achievement.
0: It is, and that's what we're thinking too. Is a lot of that's the reason why it targeted because a lot of guys were jealous that they didn't get it, and I got it. Do you get that
1: during buds or something, or is is,
0: you can get honor? You can get you can get honor man at buds for like being the I guess stud or the best best guy, strongest guy. But it's pretty pretty hard honor to get Sailor of the Year. I mean, you got to get recommended by your head shed, your leadership. And they all put me in for it. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you've made SEAL Team 6 and you've got Sailor of the Year. Doesn't really get much better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. Aaron, listen, you've been absolutely wonderful. It's been great to meet you. Please, let's stay in touch. Um, I'm going to put all your links and your petition and everything and your social media underneath the video on, on YouTube. Um, and I'd encourage everybody at home, if you can support, support this man, he's obviously put his life, uh, on the line for his country and, um, make, make contact with Aaron through social media. I think you could do some support buddy,
0: right? Yeah. I appreciate that. It'd be an honor and blessing and much respect to all.
1: Aaron, let's speak again soon. I look forward to that brother. Thank you ever so much again.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
1: You're welcome. And to everybody at home, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Much love to you all. Take care. If you could like and subscribe, that will really help the channel. See you next time. Cheers, Aaron. Take care. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.